Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Falcon, Samurai, Apache Chief. Together they form the world's greatest force of good ever assembled, dedicated to truth, peace, and justice for all mankind. These are the Man the of Hey everybody, welcome to episode 127 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode I'm going to cover weeks 5 and 6 of the 1980 Super Friends shorts. These are the shorts that aired in the fall of the 1980 television season. And this is the next to last episode of which I'll be covering these particular shorts before moving on to uh, the next uh, phase of the podcast. And and I'm going to get right into uh, the business of this week's episode because I've got a pretty cool... F- Feedback segment to go through here, the uh, first of which is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen, episode 116, and this is the second part of Superman, the movie month. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike, and Mr. Fisher, Gonzalez, Henley, and Weider. This was an excellent and a wonderful episode of the continuing Superman, the movie month, listening to a group of fellows who have an obvious affection for this movie and for the character of Superman, discussing the movie. Hearing their initial exposure to it, of course, Bob Fisher's story of attending the Washington, D.C. premiere of the movie with President Carter is great. What they liked about it, who they liked in it, and what might have been better about it. It's like eavesdropping on a fun conversation among friends. Hearing more discussion in this episode of John Williams' score makes me think that a podcast episode could probably be made looking at the score and its use in this and other Superman movies. I agree with the statement that the Space Jesus idea is not part of the Siegel and Schuster's original story or part of the decades of comic or on-screen lore before this movie, and it devalues both the character of Superman and the religious views of many people. And I really wish movie makers in particular, who reached the largest audience and influenced that audience's idea of Superman, would just stop pursuing this idea. I enjoyed hearing the discussion of people's favorite actors for the various different roles, for Clark, Lois, etc., because everyone's opinion is is certainly equally valid. And I think, for a lot of people, it's often, but not always, whoever they saw first in the role. I wish, as I mentioned in my comments on last week's episode, that you and any fans who can get to see the 40th anniversary showing of the movie in the theaters, among fellow fans. It really is an experience for anyone who loves this movie to have. One last thought, as I typed 40th anniversary showing, I realized that it's been about 40 years since this this movie was originally released, and it was released in the 40th anniversary year of Superman's first appearance in Action Comics number 1. So we are about as far from this movie now as this movie was from the original appearance of Superman. There's really something kind of wonderful about that. Live long and prosper, Dave. And as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I really don't have a ton to add to Dave's letter. As we've discussed the uh, various concepts that he's addressing, kind of ad nauseum during the show, and I really don't have anything further to add to it. And I liked, uh, you know, Dave's uh, man- noticed that uh, the 40th anniversary showing of the movie on the 80th birthday of Superman puts, at that time, in an interesting way, puts Superman the movie kind of equidistant between now and uh, the creation of Superman back in 1938. As for other anniversaries, I believe it's also the. Uh, well, 2018 was at least the 25th anniversary of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and the 30th anniversary of the Superboy television series going on the air. So it was really a year of milestones for, for Superman. So that is certainly that. And you're right, Dave. It is wonderful. All right. Now that I've kind of gone through that, I have uh, another letter here. This one is from Kirk Groenfeld. Groenfeld. If I'm mispronouncing your name, Kirk, please let me know. And he's also writing it on the same episode. And Kirk writes, 
Somehow, I missed the start of the review of Superman the Movie with number 115, but downloaded number 116 and have been listening to it while driving back and forth to work this week. I'm really enjoying Bob Fisher's comments and all your guests, although sometimes confusing when they all speak. I'm enjoying the variety of comments and some people catching some elements, but not others. Second, you all mentioned when you first saw the film. I'm with Bob Fisher as I saw it upon first release in the movie theater on the big screen. As I recall, my elder sister three and a half years ahead of me, and having read many Silver Age DC books borrowed from our cousins, Supergirl, Superboy, Action Comics, Superman, Lois Lane, etc., told me that she had gone to see the new Superman movie, and that it was very good. She especially liked the uh, product placement of the Cheerio cereal box on Ma Kent's table, as my sister recalled that they had been a prime sponsor of the Adventures of Superman TV show. And it was with this ringing endorsement that I had agreed to see the movie. I had been reluctant as I was either in my senior year of college or started my first semester of grad school at Michigan State U, and had left comic books behind some seven years earlier. As a dyed-in-the-wool Marvel fan, I was somewhat ho-hum about seeing Superman, but the girl I was dating had been interested in seeing it, and so we went to the State Theater to watch it. I'm not certain what time of year it was, but I believe we double-dated with her roommate. I'm not certain what I was expecting in the movie, but I knew it was long, and it seemed to have several different movements to it. Krypton, Smallville, and the move to Metropolis. Lex Luthor plot and stopping the missiles. I have to say Christopher Reeve was not what I was expecting, remembering George Reeves, but I bought into Chris rather quickly. Gene Hackman was wonderful, but not the Lex I remembered from the Silver Age and I had no idea who Otis or Miss Tessmacher were. Overall, I enjoyed the movie. However, on a side note, I thought the gal I was seeing was getting a bit too close to me, and I think I was a bit rude to her, standoffish, trying to prevent her from latching onto me or becoming too involved. She felt that distance and refused to let me come home with her that night. Another week or so, and the mood had passed, we continued dating that summer. We lived together for seven years, and I married her about ten years after we saw the movie. We have moved all around the nation together and settled here in Athens, with two kids now through college, so my memories of this movie are tied to our relationship, sort of. We saw this movie in repeat on cable in the 1980s, and I'm certain that I recorded it on a long-play VHS tape the day or two before we moved from Detroit to Salt Lake City. One of the last things I packed up was the VHS deck and started recording everything off cable I could, fearing that there would be no cable TV in Salt Lake City. Superman 1 and 2 were among the five or so major films that I recorded the nights before we left town, and I believe we played them for my daughter while she was young. She fell in love with Supergirl in the movie, as bad as it was, and would crawl around the floor in a Halloween mask, pretending she was Supergirl flying. Ah, memories. Enjoying the comments, even though each episode is long. Your friend and listener, Kirk Greenfield, co-host of the Imperious Rex Confessions of a Serial Surface Evader podcast. So, thank you, uh, Kirk, for writing in. Just, uh, I'm guessing from his last uh, comment there that long episodes are aren't Kirk's cup of tea, but yeah, my apologies for that. It's kind of hard to keep episodes short when you have uh, so many voices uh, in one episode. You want to give as much to uh, every voice as you possibly can, and sometimes it can be a little difficult. And thank you for your letter, and uh, one of the most enjoyable things about Superman the Movie Month, and I think I mentioned this last week too, uh, when I talked about Dave's letter on episode 115, is that in addition to analyzing the movie, one of the fun things about Superman the Movie Month and having so many guests was collecting everybody's stories about how they saw the film for the first time. I am not fortunate enough to remember my first time seeing the movie as it was kind of always a part of my life. So hearing everybody's stories and hearing the effect seeing uh, the film had on them was one of the great joys that I took from those five episodes. And I just want to correct uh, Kirk on one note. Although his sister is not completely wrong, she said that she liked the uh, product placement of the Cheerios box on Mockhead's table. Cheerios was not a prime sponsor of uh, the Adventures of Superman TV show. That was Kellogg's. Cheerios is produced by uh, General Mills. Different cereal companies. But she did remember correctly that a breakfast cereal sponsored the Adventures of Superman TV show. I believe it was Kellogg's Pep, as I recall. And I really don't have anything to say on uh, Kirk's thoughts on the film. And I really, uh, and I'd like to personally thank you, Kirk, for sharing your story about uh, 
seeing the movie with your wife and having uh, that that movie being part of your uh, early days of the relationship with your wife. That's a, that was a really cool thing to read on uh, the show, and I thank you for sharing that. That was me and the rest of the listeners. Please feel free to write in on uh, any other upcoming episodes. I look forward to hearing from you, and uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing from everybody. Write in, manascreen at gmail.com. Now, at this point, I'm going to take a break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back and head into uh, week five of the 1980 Super Friends shorts. Hang around, folks. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. Every adventure. <sighs> okay. You guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world, the Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU Cast. Whatever the future holds. We'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, All the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 11th, 1980, and we're going to start with The Voodoo Vampire, and all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. In Africa, a voodoo vampire priestess escapes a tomb and transforms people on a safari. She then takes Batman and Robin. Our power was too much for him. He's disintegrated. Come, I must find more victims before my work is done. You need look no further, Vampirus. We'll take the Bat-Jet to the Hall of Justice and transform the other super friends. (laughs) Great lightning! I've got to get back to the Hall of Justice and warn the others. Then get control of Superman and Aquaman. Black Vulcan and Wonder Woman managed to stop her. Thank you, Super Friends. Without your help, I'm afraid we would have perished. That was a close one, all right. I hope I never see a bat again. Present company excluded, of course. (sighs) All right, so this is uh, kind of a basic story. We have this female vampire flying around. She's known uh, to uh, the people here as the voodoo vampire. She tells them not to fear because there's no escape. You know, the perfect thing to uh, make people not afraid of you. You tell them there's no escape from whatever it is you're going to do to them, and... They're not going to fear you. Okay, eh, good reason not to fear. But apparently she has these two uh, gemstones in her teeth, which turn people into vampires. Batman and Robin are going to get the alert, and uh, they're going to watch the caller get turned into a vampire right before their eyes. That's got to be something very unpleasant to see. So, Batman and Robin head out to Africa, where this is happening. They uh, parachute down and are quickly attacked by a converted vampire. And, uh, you know, Batman is bitten by a vampire bat. Kind of a poetic justice there. Seeing the Batman taken down by a bat. And then Black Vulcan will show up and bail them out of trouble. Just at least for a minute. So Batman and Robin are kind of swinging through and Black Vulcan is behind them. So they come up to this crowd of people and, uh, <laughs> this is hysterical. As Batman asks the crowd if they need help and a whole army of vampires just kind of turns, uh, turns around at them. And, uh, the Voodoo Vampire kind of has them attack and, uh, the Super Friends are doing a pretty good job at avoiding the uh, beams emerging from the uh, the Voodoo Vampire's teeth, well, you know, at least at first. But after a while, they are worn down, and Batman and Robin are converted. And you should see this transformation. Uh, 
Look at Robin's ears, especially. They're long and pointy to go with uh, the long teeth. So, uh, the vampiress, I believe they're calling her, she needs uh, more followers, and the vampire Batman's great idea is to transform the other super friends. That doesn't sound like a great idea to me, but it's a great idea to uh, the Bat Vampire. I guess uh, one of the things you want to do is uh, you want to absorb uh, the greatest threat to uh, you and whatever it is you're doing. So, yeah, sure, take out the super friends, turn them into vampires, you'll be unstoppable then. So, uh, let's call him Bat Vampire. He uh, lures the super friends through the Hall of Justice, and uh, Superman easily recognizes that Batman and Robin are in a voodoo trance, and... They're put into a glass cage, and all of a sudden, Superman and Aquaman are converted into vampires as well. So, not a very good showing for our favorite Blue Boy Scout and the King of the Sea. And uh, this is where uh, Vampiris decides that she has enough. Apparently, adding uh, Superman and Aquaman means she has enough vampires in her stable. So, eventually, Black Vulcan will fill in Wonder Woman on what happens, and it's a very quick conversation. The nice thing about these episodes being uh, seven minutes long is there's not much time for pointless exposition. So, Wonder Woman lasts at Oops of Vampires, and Black Vulcan basically shines some light on her, and uh, she retreats. So that threat is easily dispensed. For as difficult as it seemed at first, she went down pretty easily. I mean, just think about this. The Vampires took care of the best the Super Friends had to offer. Well, the jury's still out on Robin, but took out Batman, Superman, and Aquaman. Um, maybe Aquaman and Robin aren't in the same league as uh, Superman and Batman, but she took them down rather easily, but you know, Wonder Woman, who is, uh, you know, she's up there. She's uh, definitely part of the A uh, team, as far as DC superheroes goes. Black Vulcan, uh, very much a D-lister, if that. But they took him down, and, you know, seven minutes is awful uh, quick for these stories. But, you know, they get the, they do what they got to do. They get in and get out. So, of course, we do have our ending with Superman making a bat joke. And he doesn't want to see any more bats, but Batman is okay. Good to know. So, the second episode in this segment... And if you want to turn the podcast off rather than hear me talk about this next one, I will totally understand. Invasion of the Gleeks. Yeah, that sounds just as exciting as you think it does. So our synopsis is as follows. The Wonder Twins spot flying saucers land. The ships have monkeys like Gleek from Exor and want to take over the Earth. At last, we have found planet called Earth. I don't believe it. Those ships are filled with Exorian monkeys. Come on, Jaina. Let's introduce ourselves. Boy, you guys sure had us worried for a minute. We thought you were some kind of cosmic invaders. <laughs> Destroy them! Those spaced-out simians are dangerous. We'll show them they can't monkey around with us. They take the twins and brainwash Gleek. They then surprise the super friends and are about to have Gleek disintegrate the heroes when the twins escape and restore Gleek. Now to escort these primate prisoners to planet Exor. I'm sure glad we got rid of them. One Gleek is more than enough. Gleek! That's a banana blaster! <laughs> So yeah, my first thought when I saw the title of this episode was that I didn't want to watch it. You know, I just took, but I did, and I'll tell you all about it, because I'm sure you're dying to know. So the hair of the twins are sleeping at the Hall of Justice. Apparently, uh, they live there, and Gleek uh, sleeps in a dresser drawer. And he looks out the window and sees a bunch of uh, flying saucers. 
Apparently, that's what he recognizes them as, and he pulls them right out of bed. Oh, and the uh, commotion woke up Jaina, too. So Zan, when he sees the flying saucer, says, Oh my gosh, they're being invaded. Surprised he didn't say Jupiter's, which is what he usually says. But he wants to check it out first, before bringing in the other super friends. And out of the saucer comes Gleek-like space monkeys. I guess the one in the uh, mustard yellow and green here is the king. And he's got two monkeys and uh, in pink and purple with him. And uh, they chatter like Gleek, but... Only the king uh, talks in English, and the first thing I'm going to tell you is, and if you haven't seen this episode, you're just going to have to take my word for it, the monkeys have guns shaped like bananas. So Jaina is going to make a monkeying around joke, and I'm going to uh, bang my head on the desk for a minute. And uh, they turn into a tortoise and an ice gun, because, yeah. Of course, a tortoise and an ice gun are easily going to rectify this problem of monkeys. And this, believe it or not, this works until a robotic monkey comes out of the tank and uh, shakes the hell out of the twins. So, they're caught. You know, the, the Wonder Twins being the Wonder Twins. They're captured by monkeys. And now the king brainwashes Gleek into doing what he was told. I didn't know Gleek had a brain to wash. You know, and honestly, I am kind of surprised that no one made that joke. So now the uh, computer is going to run down the... Uh, bios of the Super Friends so that the monkeys know uh, who they are and what they're up to. Excellent! I take over from here. Justice League computer file, SF1, subject Superman, the most powerful of the Super Friends, totally indestructible except in the presence of kryptonite. (laughs) File SF2, subject Wonder Woman, possesses great strength and agility, but rendered helpless when tied with her own magic lasso. File SF3, Batman and Robin, known for their great intelligence. However, without their utility belts, they are no stronger than average humans. Jupiters! Those sinister simians have found out the Super Friends' weaknesses. Thanks to Comrade Gleek, we soon control Earth. We hide now. Ambush Super Friends. <laughs> the weakness to Batman and Robin is just take their belts. They're useless without their utility belts. That's their superpower. So the uh, Super Friends arrive at the Hall of Justice. Superman ignores the monkeys until the king whips out some kryptonite. But I'm really not buying that these monkeys swipe Batman and Robin's utility belts without at least one of them noticing. You would think Batman would notice uh, that he weighs a little bit less with his utility belt gone, but apparently he's just as oblivious as everyone else is. And uh, Wonder Woman is tied up with her own lasso, so everyone's caught. This is very embarrassing for the Super Friends, being captured by a bunch of gleeks. I'm embarrassed for them. So, Jaina becomes an electric eel to shake Gleek out of his brainwashing, and he takes the kryptonite, and Superman frees the Super Friends, and he recovers almost immediately once the kryptonite's gone, as Superman is wont to do in this era. So Superman takes out the robot with one punch, while everyone else rounds up the monkeys. And uh, Superman sends them home, and Gleek shoots himself with the banana, and puts himself in a force field. Yeah, that's about all there is to this episode. Just, uh, what is it with DC Comics and monkeys? Someone? Anyone? <sighs> May the next episode I cover be better than this one. And that is, Mixias Pitalik strikes again. Or I guess Mixoplik in the concept of this show. I'm going to continue to say Mixias Pitalik. And uh, here's our synopsis. Mr. Mixias Pitalik returns and annoys the Super Friends with a magic typewriter that can send the Super Friends into any story he chooses. And just when the Super Friends were about to disappear forever! I don't understand it. How did you resist my typewriter? We didn't. It must be broken. The 
Maybe I can fix it. There. Try it now. It still doesn't work. All it writes is Clipplestim. Oh, no! I read my name backwards. You tricked me. You always cheat. You, you, you... Superman, you're safe. What happened? I'd rather not talk about it, Batman, but you're welcome to read the whole story. <laughs> All right, and uh, the first thing I want to say about this episode is that this episode highly reminds me of, and the title of the episode is escaping me at the moment, and I'm not going to bother to look it up, but it was a Challenge of Super Friends episode where the Toy Man sent the Super Friends into uh, storybooks to, uh, that was his big flawless plan to trap the Super Friends in storybooks. This episode reminds me a lot of that concept, even though what's different here is that Mixie S. Pitalik is writing the story. God, by the time I'm done with covering uh, the Super Friends, if I'm saying Mixelplik, I'm going to be very angry at myself. Mixie S. Pitalik. Mixie S. Pitalik. So Superman shows up at the Hall of Justice, and they all hear a typewriter. It's, and it's, uh, you know, clacking and just as only a typewriter can. And here comes the trouble alert to uh, show us an image of a super robot attacking Metropolis. And it marches through the screen into the Hall of Justice, which shouldn't be possible. And it quickly encases Superman in a kryptonite web. So this thing is making quick work of the Super Friends. Superman figures out what's going on by what the monster calls everyone. Now that you have witnessed the destruction of your comrades, your next super jerk. Just a minute. That pink wonder weirdo super jerk? Well, there's only one person in the universe who talks like that. Mixelplik. Now you've gone and done it, Super Klutz. You just ruined my story! That must be the typewriter we heard. That's right, Super Smarties. It's my newest fifth-dimensional invention. Anything I type on it comes true. And now, for my reading pleasure, I'm going to write the great American novel with you Super Freaks as the main characters. That's what you think, Mixelplik. Invisible shield. Timber, timber, timber! Mixelplik must have escaped from his fifth dimensional universe again. The only way to get him back is to trick him into saying his name backwards. Let's see. What kind of story shall I write? I know. A monster story. <laughs> Once upon a time... Funny though, he hears Mixie say Wonder Weirdo, but Wonder Woman's not there. Wonder Woman does not make an appearance in this episode at all, yet somehow Superman <laughs> mentions that Mixie S. Pitalik called somebody Wonder Weirdo. But she's not there. Ugh. So it's Mixie S. Pitalik and he's writing a story and it's gonna, he's, like I said, he's gonna put the Super Friends through the bases. And in addition to that Toy Man episode, there was also a Mixie S. Pitalik episode where he was filming a movie and uh, he pit the Super Friends uh, up against each other. So this seems to be a half-baked version of that, as everything Mixie writes comes to pass. In that previous episode, everything Mixie uh, put in his movie came to pass. So here we go. They're going to destroy each other once again. Have they let her actually disappear? Batman announces that they're gone. Yes, when people disappear right from in front of you, yes, they're gone. That is what happens. <sighs> Don't mind me. Must have been a long day. So Aquaman and Superman are sent to an Old West story, and Aquaman is tied to a train, and he's about to get run over a cliff. <laughs> Superman's costume looks rather interesting when it's converted into a cowboy outfit, I'll just say that. So now Superman and Green Lantern will fight, and Lantern will trap them in a bubble, and by accident, they're shielded from Mexican's Pedalex typewriter. And then Superman catches the train before Aquaman plunges to his death. 
Mixius Pitalik is upset that his story was rewritten, and Green Lantern got the typewriter to spell Mixie's name backwards. He's gone, and everyone else is back to normal. So, again, a very basic story. Not much to it, but enjoyable in its own right. One thing I really do believe is that the Super Friends as a whole suffers when you're reduced to seven-minute stories, because you can't really give the characters their due in this format, and... Obviously, in seven minutes, you cannot have the whole team. This format does not serve the Super Friends well, I don't think. But we're going to have more of this format going forward for at least the next two seasons after this one, so we're going to have to just kind of get used to it and soldier through until we get to uh, season eight, I believe, the uh, Legendary Superpowers show, which I'm really looking forward to. That and uh, Galactic Guardians, I'm definitely looking forward to those two seasons. But right for right now, though, these are just kind of episodes to get through. So right now, let's take another break play another promo, and then I'll come back and uh, move on to uh, week six. Hang around, folks. It began with the return of an ancient evil. Ah! After 10,000 years, I'm free! It's time to conquer Earth! Alpha, we just escaped. Recruiter team of teenagers with attitude. This is the story of five teenagers. Not teenagers! Yes, teenagers. Specifically chosen to keep our planet safe as the Power Rangers! Ranger Chronicles. Every Tuesday, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Alright, welcome back, folks. So all of the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 18th, 1980. And we're going to start with The Man in the Moon. All the synopses of this segment are brought to you by SupermanHomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. So, a huge monster hatches from within the hollow moon. It takes Superman and Apache Chief to get it sealed back in the moon. That moon creature won't be bothering us anymore. Nice going, Superman. It just goes to show you, when you're in trouble, it never hurts to have a big friend. <laughs> Especially a super friend! Yeah, that's basically it. The moon cracks like an egg. Big dinosaur comes out. Super friends put it back. No. Yeah, it took this took all of seven minutes. So we start with a couple of astronauts on the moon and they're caught in a moonquake. Very important not to call it an earthquake while you're on the moon. When you're on the moon, it's a moonquake. And the moon splits apart. And a giant creature comes out. Because these are things you expect to happen on the moon. So great. The moon gave birth. I am sure that was unexpected. And honestly, I'm not sure how looking going forward how the moon is gonna recover from this. It is literally split in half. This should cause major upset throughout the solar system. So upon hearing the call, Superman flies into space and saves the astronauts and drops them into the uh, Pacific Ocean. The beast looks almost like a worm with legs and dragon-like wings. And Superman learns that he shouldn't fly into the big moon creature's mouth. It just might spit him out and throw him into the sun. So now the moon creature is attacking Earth, and it's huge when compared to the Earth. And it's literally shaking the planet. I mean, the moon is smaller than the Earth, I believe, uh... The gravity on the moon is uh, one-sixth of Earth normal, and I'm personally not sure how that relates to the size of the Earth, but the moon is smaller, But and while the creature's not bigger than the Earth, you know, I'm sure its foot would, would reach across several states. Let's just say that. So Wonder Woman is going to find Superman, while Batman and Apache Chief are going to try to stop the moon creature, which is eating mountains as, as if it's having a light snack. Batman and the Chief rescue some people and are caught in a landslide, and even in his giant form, Apache Chief... Looks like a dwarf compared to the moon creature. Now, back in uh, this era, this is the 1980s, so we're talking Bronze Age here. But in the Bronze Age, and even more so in the Silver Age, Superman can survive in the sun for at least a few minutes, I guess. Uh, Silver Age fans, uh, Dave McElvenny, Bob Fisher, Billy Hogan, if you're listening, please uh, 
refresh my memory on exactly how long Superman can uh, hang around in the sun in the Silver and Bronze Age. But I knew that from uh, during the post-crisis era, which I'm mostly familiar with, which started with John Byrne in 1986, Superman really could not handle falling into the sun. But he does survive, and he escapes, and now Superman has to go back to Earth to uh, fight the moon creature. Now, Batman is showing that he, how much of a real genius he is, and he announces that they have to hang on while they're all hanging onto a ledge by their fingertips. I wonder if he thought of all that by himself. Now, Superman says they've got to stop the monster. Another master of understatement right there. Now, Superman goes and gets some supplies, one of which is from the Acme warehouse, so that would make me nervous, because that is the, the preferred uh, shopping place of Wiley Coyote, and none of his gadgets ever work. Word to the wise, Superman. I wouldn't shop there. So, the Apache Chief has an idea, and we're bringing in the Atom for the first time in who knows how long. So, basically, they need uh, the Atom, and this is uh, Ray Palmer, you know, the... Uh, He's the superhero who can shrink himself down into uh, the subatomic levels when he needs to. So Apache Chief, uh, looking at Marvel Comics, imagine if Ant-Man and Giant-Man were two different characters. This is basically what you have here. Apache Chief who grows real big and Adam who shrinks real small. I got here as soon as I could. What's the plan? With my Indian tribal powers, I can grow to 50 feet tall. But with your knowledge of atomic structure and size alteration, we may be able to increase my powers a thousand times. That's no easy order, Apache Chief, but I'll give it a shot. Stand by. Three, two, one, switching on! I can feel the power. Let's hope it works. Moments later, as the deadly creature approaches the East Coast. Electrock! It worked! Now to take care of that cosmic creature once and for all! So Apache Chief grows to his size and he is able to go one-on-one -on -one with the creature and uh, he throws it back into the moon and uh, Superman welds it shut with his heat vision. Yeah, Superman literally turns his heat vision on the moon and welded it shut. I really can't argue with that, but it just seems too easy to weld the moon with your heat vision. But this was a silver and bronze age. I have a feeling these, some of these shows are more silver agey in nature than the bronze age. And Adam gets the ending jokes as saying it always helps to have a big friend. Yay. You know, a nice monster episode. Superman's powers were useless. They just needed some guy who could grow real tall. So now we're going to move on to the Circus of Horrors. And uh, our supermanhomepage.com synopsis is as follows. Talking wild animals use a hypno ray to capture the audience, including the Wonder Twins at a circus. Just do as you've been told and you won't get hurt. Yes, whatever you say. Jupiters! That crazy clown and the ringmaster are zapping the audience into some kind of trance! Come on, Zan! It's time we showed them our act! The twins lure Superman and Wonder Woman to uh, the circus. Jaina! I thought you were at the circus! You must come to the circus. What for? Is something wrong? Nothing's wrong. You must come to the circus. There's something strange going on. I've never seen the twins act like that. We'll find out soon enough. Come on. Superman is transformed into a lion and Wonder Woman a zebra. Leak manages to save the day. Thanks, super friends, for saving the circus from those evil animals. Speaking of animals, where's Gleek? Gleek, no! Ha 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 ha!
really have nothing to really to say about the last sentence in this episode. But yeah, Gleek does save the day, which again, embarrassing for the Super Friends. The pet monkey is saving the day. Something is wrong. So here we are. The circus is visiting Metropolis, and uh, I feel as though we've seen the circus recently, but I could be wrong. Of course, now they're making jokes that Gleek could walk the high wire with his eyes closed. Of course, he can't. And now we're getting the tiger threatening the ringmaster. And the ringmaster capitulates to the tiger. It doesn't seem to be bothering him at all that the tiger is talking, but, you know, that's neither here nor there, I guess. And the ringmaster zaps the audience into a trance, and the twins are going to get into it here. So they become an elephant and water, and Jaina shoots Zan at them, and they're all wet with Wonder Twins, which must be weird. So Jaina, the talking elephant, threatens them, and the tiger gloats, and reminds her that the animals are in charge. So Jaina gets to do a headbutting match with an elephant, and in an attempt to help, Zan freezes her instead of the elephant. So more of that uh, wonderful Wonder Twins uh, competence that we hear so much about. So apparently the animals are going to take revenge on the humans who have controlled them for far too long. You know, I wonder if animals could think if they would do such a thing. I mean, we haven't always treated them well, and there's been major backlash against circuses uh, in recent years for the treatment of the animals. So I'd imagine if the animals could think, they'd probably wouldn't be totally not justified in attacking uh, circus trainers. The entranced Wonder Twins request this Wonder Woman and Superman go to the circus. And Wonder Woman points out that there is something strange to them. Maybe it's the monotonous voices that they're speaking in. Come on, use your head, Diana. So Superman and Wonder Woman show up, and Superman shows what a great bowler he is by throwing the elephant into the bear that operates the hypno ray. And Superman and Wonder Woman <laughs> have been changed to animals by the tiger. And Superman's got a lion's head. Reminiscent of a really good comic story from the 60s where Superman grows a lion's head. I don't remember the story off the top of my head or how Superman got that way with the lion's head, I, but I don't think it was Red Kryptonite, but that was a real fun story. I believe it was reprinted in one of the uh, early Superman 80-page uh, giants from the 60s. But the twins get back in the act as Gleek turns on their powers. Jaina becomes a beaver and Zan becomes snow, and she starts whacking snowballs with her tail. It's rather amusing as Superman eventually melts Zan. And yeah, I would, the synopsis is right. The monkey is going to have to save the day here. And he does by landing on the tiger's head and returns Wonder Woman and Superman to normal. Now, it's funny how no one is questioning how the animals can speak. But for the ending, uh, Gleek uh, sprays himself with the ray machine and becomes a uh, tiger, elephant, monkey thing. He might be the hero of this story, but he still gets the last laugh. Whether or not we're laughing at him or with him is for you to decide. I'm going to leave it at that. Well, you know, if you like talking animals, this is the story for you. But it's kind of weird seeing Gleek have to uh, save the day. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our final story and uh, that I'll be covering this week. Around the world in 80 riddles. And our synopsis is as follows. The Riddler sprays Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman and Robin with a substance that will make them permanently stupid within two hours. I knew the Riddler would have something planned for our demise. That's right, Batbrains! I've got you right where I want you! And now, a penny for your thoughts! <laughs> Great, Scott! It's a kryptonite penny! Holy squeeze play! There's no way out! I'm losing strength fast. Can't hold out much longer. I can't think of what to do. My mind's cloudy. The spray must be taking effect. There's still a slim chance the bat acid may be able to dissolve that kryptonite penny. If they don't solve the riddles, do find an antidote. It's no fair! Everything was going perfectly! I was finally going to get rid of the super friends! Ah! 
while the uh, while the substance is going to make them could make them permanently stupid. This episode is permanently stupid. So here's Batman and Robin in the Batcave with uh, Wonder Woman and Superman is making a delivery as he delivers the package to Batman and Robin. And the Riddler pops out because why wouldn't he? He sprays Superman with something and then bounces away. This version of the Riddler is very weird. One of the things I don't picture about the, the Riddler is I don't picture him bouncing and acting in a jokey sort of way. That is kind of how Frank Gorshin acted in the uh, 60s TV show when uh, Jim Carrey kind of put on a similar act when he was in Batman Forever back in 94 or 95. I never remember which year that movie came out, but it was one of those two. I think of a Riddler that, that seems to be a little smarter and just uh, can't get out of his own way uh, and leaves the riddles. But you'd think uh, the Riddler would want some kind of stupidity spray that acted immediately, but he can be caught within those two hours. But nope, he uh, he's going to let it take two hours to make them stupid. Like I said, the episode kind of getting stupider by the minute. So Riddler's Riddle sends them to the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico and uh, some Mayan ruins. Oh, I almost forgot. Here's your first riddle clue. Good luck, super fools. You'll need it. <laughs> Holy mindbenders, Batman. Listen to this. As your IQ drops to below 22, you'll need Maya help to tire your shoes. I can't make any sense out of that at all. I think I may have the solution. As your IQ drops to below 22, doesn't mean a drop in intelligence, but a drop to below the 22nd parallel. Of course, Batman. And when the Riddler says, you'll need Maya help, he means the ancient civilization of the Mayans in Central America. Superman spots something sitting in the pyramid and automatically assumes that it's the antidote, but that seems way too easy. And they're attacked by a rock statue, and Superman shatters it. And of course, the Riddler is there. Somehow he gets to Mexico this quickly. I don't know, but he does. And he uh, traps them again. And of course, everyone needs to be caught by Superman, except for Batman, who manages to save himself. Next clue, a penny for their thoughts, and the penny is laced with kryptonite. Eventually, while this is all going on, here comes the spray, and it makes them childish. So I guess part of being stupid is just acting like a child, I guess. <laughs> Hell of a thing to say when your audience, for the most part, is children. So they have to climb the mountain, and they're too stupid to figure out the answer, and I like the thought, it sends them to Mount Everest. And they're on their way to Mount Everest, and uh, Riddler has the antidote in a blimp. And like I mentioned, this episode is as dumb as the Super Friends are acting, but... The only thing I do like is that this segment is full of Superman. You know, in seven minute shorts, he kind of has to share the spotlight with the rest of the group. But he is uh, getting more than his fair share of action in this particular episode. But even stupid Superman beats the Riddler as he knocks the jar out of his hands and Antidote kind of lands on them. And then for our ending, the Riddler throws a temper tantrum on the floor. Kind of like the way my one-year-old daughter tends to. Beautiful. Not really much of that episode. They're no longer stupid. The episode was stupid. And I'm kind of glad this episode is done because over these two weeks, there seem to be a lot of dumb episodes. And you're probably as done with listening to me talk about this as I am about talking about this. One of the things I'll say about this story before I check out is that you really need a 22-minute episode to do a Riddler story properly. Just not enough time in seven minutes to have the Super Friends chase the Riddles around. So, next time, I'm going to finish up the 1980 Super Friends shorts. In the meantime, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you drop me a review on Apple Podcasts that help other people find the show. So, until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo 
and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Scream is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.